John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 1415.1K0814, certificate number 4418, The Wave. Welcome to the Omnibus Sports Radio Talk Show. Hey there, Ken. How's it going? Hey, good. We're going to take some calls. But first up, what did you think about the Mariners' performance against the Yankees in the in the matinee yesterday, John? Well, I'll tell you, you know, they had a late finish. Uh, they uh, seemed like they were going to get back into the game, but then at the at the final uh, final the final accounting, they couldn't they couldn't uh, convert. Is this why you are not a uh, a play-by-play announcer? I have no idea what any of those words are. I mean, <laughs> you know, I know that they talk real fast and they do a lot of yelling, but I I've, I've never listened to sports radio. When it when it goes by me, when a car goes by and I and I hear sports radio blaring out of it, I'm absolutely lost. And you know, I have friends that listen to it constantly. That's the thing. You could listen to people have takes about the local sporting squadrons all day yeah. through the miracle of AM radio. And I never turn to those stations, but I all I have to do is listen to my son and his friends. <laughs> his son and his large blonde friends. They all look the same, and they're all talking about. The Mariners all the time. Oh wait, they're not listening to the radio. They are giving you the yeah. actual experience. I mean, it's mostly it's mostly Dylan. I, th- I feel like he is more hardcore even than his most his baseball watching chums that will go to games with him. He's gone from Patreon card collecting to baseball statistics. You just said Patreon instead of Pokemon, which I oh. think is good. Yeah, okay, Patreon card. Let's collecting. Let's play Patreon Go. <laughs> Let's gamify. Let's gamify uh, supporting Omnibus. But yeah, he was a he was a kid that was into this kind of statistical Dungeons and Dragons y stuff, right? And now he's now he's made it into a seemingly more mature pastime. He's turned it all. He's turned all his love of uh, of stats and detail on sabermetrics, and he knows which Mariners prospects have the best. OBP or BIBAP on base per- or percentage Bebenbop or wins uh, above replacement uh, or all this stuff that was very exotic when I was uh, when I was a kid. Well, how long do you think before he converts that into things like his father and his uncle John, like uh, that know a lot about the Teapot Dome scandal and and uh, like French currency? I'm terrified that it's going to become finance. Oh, he's why? Gonna, why he'll be rich? Yeah, I don't want that. If he's uh, if he's like bip, bipping and bopping about interest rates, <laughs> that'd be the worst. <laughs> Is that what always happens to those sports stat kids? They just wind up working for Wall Street. Firms? The lucky ones, I no, guess. the the bad the bad ones end up sitting outside of a Mariners game with headphones on, pounding on an overturned bucket. The other night, the game, um, 
the game we were at where I threw out the first pitch, he, uh, they, humble brag. they had humble brag. What's hum- what's humble about it? There's nothing humble about you. Brag, braggity brag. <laughs> but you know, of all the friends that I have that are, that, that brag, you, first of all, have plenty of reason, but also you're very humble about it. I mean, you're gentle brag. So that is humble bragging. I, I wouldn't even call it. No, I wouldn't say when that. When Harris Whittles coined humble brag, the idea was that it was very off-putting because, uh, right. you know, if you're going to brag, just brag. Don't do it in this mock humble um, uh, uh, Uriah Heap kind of fashion. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You don't do that. You're just very upfront about your accomplishments. Well, what I was going to say about that game in which I was honored by being asked to throw the first pitch. <laughs> You did throw out the first pitch, and we were all there rooting for you. They had left a scorecard in the in the um, up in the seats where we were sitting, up on that club level. And, and by scorecard, Ken means a blank piece of paper that has uh, all the innings and all the the at bats, and you can sit with a pencil and actually score the game, which means you write down everything. Every single play that, that happens, happens, you you know as if you were an official scorekeeper, but you're not. So this, I don't know what happens to this. After the game, it's mostly a, a an instrument of attention. You Do know, you save them in a file? Like a, you have a file cabinet of all the games you. Dylan ever has been keeping now ever since that that day where he you know because I had never bought him a scorecard and I was like hey they got one of these you should and suddenly he's like who's got a pen who's got a pen you know like we're going down on the field to throw the first pitch and he's like asking the marketing people hey. Do any of you have a pen? Because I got it, you know. Did he score your pitch? Uh, yeah, he thought it was ball one. <laughs> Over the plate, but a little high, he yeah, said. Yeah, ball one. Uh, he, uh, but since that night, he has been scoring every game, including the ones he watches from home, like <laughs> just with his friends uh, who are watching with him on Twitch or Slack or TikTok or whatever they do. I, uh, or all five. At once. I had a question for you about that. You said that you found one, a sheet. He scored that game, but uh-huh. then took it home and copied it and now has a stack oh, yeah. of them. But wouldn't the copied version <laughs> have been used already? No, he was doing, uh, he's been doing considerable. So I saw you again. We went to another game last week because right. another friend of ours threw out a first That's pitch. right. Our good friend, Maria Semple. I had known when I, when the Mariners contacted me about the first pitch, I remembered that Maria had always dreamed of throwing out a first pitch. Oh, I had no idea she did. I sold her out. Yeah. She was like, if you ever talk to anybody at the Mariners, tell them I want to throw out a baseball her husband george loves to go to baseball games and he goes to games with you and he goes to games with me but he no longer wants to go to games with us both i was wondering if that was by design i think so is that a bit much i think he he calls me and says let's go to a game he calls you but he doesn't want to do it and i don't know whether it's because you and i just spend the whole time cracking jokes but of course of the three of us he's the famously funny one but he's also the quietest he is quiet that's right i wonder if that's just a bit too much uh yeah uh stimulus he does he wants he wants the one-on-one but but so she had a baseball thing too yeah and she was uh they were like oh great we got to open i didn't know if i should pitch her to the mariners because you know no pun intended because i was you know it puts them in the awkward position of being like yeah mm, i don't know but they were always saying hey we got 81 home games a year to find people to throw out a ball for so uh you know she's easily one of the uh 81 most famous people at any mariners game Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, she's a she's a, one of the eighty one most famous Seattle writers oh, uh, yeah. of the of the day. I mean, she's top she's top three, right? Uh, top three best selling current writers. But I mean, you're going to have. I'm not going to say all time. Yeah, you're going to have to contend with an with an awful lot of. Uh, she's of, she's up in the Sherman Alexi Garth Stein class, right? Uh, but Richard Hugo. I mean, where does she where where does Richard Hugo stand? I mean, probably in terms of numbers. 
But does she have a house Hugo named a, after wasn't her? Wasn't Richard Hugo a poet? Yeah. Yeah, so she sold six copies of her of Bernadette. <laughs> She's the head of Richard Hugo. No offense. Uh, why was I talking? Oh, right. So at that game, Dylan uh, forgot a scorecard and had to run back to the house. And because he, he was printing out his own, and I, he told me that he had actually been doing a lot of research online. There's various formats and templates of these blank score sheets. You can't buy them at the, at the baseball field? Yeah, they, I think they print out one for the game that has, you know, it's, it's a little folder that has some of your favorite Mariners on the cover. In, and this is the thing my dad would buy me when I would go to games as a kid, because I always kept score. It's a collectible. Uh, you scored the game. Oh, absolutely. When you were a kid. Yeah. It makes you pay attention, I think, to the game. Yeah, it should be said that when a baseball game is five hours long, it's easy to drift off <laughs> right. and start talking to your seatmate and go get a hot dog and, and miss big parts of it. And so, I've been doing that lately because I've been going to a lot of games. And that's, that's fun, too, to check in and out of the game. But scoring it does give you a reason to watch seven foul balls. He's a serious fan. Yeah. He's got opinions on every hitter and which uh, pitchers should uh, have their uh, option picked up in their fourth year. And uh, uh, That stuff improves the game, I think. If I sit next to someone who knows all that, I, li- I like to hear it's it. It's helpful. Yeah. He and his friends actually know some 80s era Mariners chant or anthem of some kind. Da, 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 da. And when the team is on, and they, they will just sing it at the top of their lungs, marching in and out of the park. Oh, boy. This just seems more and more like he's becoming a, a crypto fascist. Well, they're turning into the Rover Boys or something from the 20s. What are they? Why do they know old-timey baseball anthems? They're going to have little pennants. Down, 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 down. You, you don't think they're going to start wearing newsboy caps and like and and uh, getting into gang fights? That would be best case, I think. I yeah. mean, they're wearing jerseys now, which uh, I think you disagree with. I If you wear a jersey to a sports event, that's fine. But never wear a sports jersey just in life. To a restaurant. No, you seem like a five-year-old. Like you should get a really big one that goes down over your knees because that's what you look like. Uh, I noticed if you wear a jersey, because you know I, when Dylan and all this, if I go with Dylan and his friends and they're all wearing jerseys, I'll wear a Mariners jersey. And the uh, the old the, the eighty year old kindly and or racist old ushers will always say, "Hey there, Ichiro!" Like they'll call you by the name on your jersey because you put How's you it wear going, an, Griffey. You wear an Ichiro jersey. That seems that seems not racist. It seems like it's on the back of your jersey. Oh no, I'm I'm, I'm not racist in this scenario. <laughs> Well, uh, aren't you uh, culturally appropriating Ichiro's that's, that's great, great achievement? And, and his number. <laughs> uh, the, but you just got a Jennings jersey when you gonna, threw out the first pitch. I'm not going to wear it. Yeah, you gave it to your brother, which I thought was sweet. Well, I don't think he's going to keep it. He just wore it to that game. Well, what do you mean? You're not going to wear it, but you're, gonna, you're not going to give it to your brother? You're just going to keep it in a frame? <sighs> yeah, you, you want to have it. You want to have a, a jersey with your name on it just in case it ever comes up. When is it ever going to come up? Well, when's it ever going to come up for him in Lehigh, Utah? He's a, he doesn't need it on a day-to-day. Well, I don't know. It just seems like... Would you wear, would you wear a Jennings jersey? To, well, we don't wear the same size. Yeah, Maybe. that's the problem. Everything you own is medium. Maybe in a baseball jersey, we do wear the same size. They're pretty blousy. They are. No, I would not wear a sports jersey. Ever. Not true. One time in Europe, I was cold, and I went into a store, and I bought a, I bought a, a zip-up jumper from the Holland sports, you know, the Holland soccer team. And I wore it all over Europe and everywhere I went, people threw eggs at me <laughs> because, you know, I was only, I was only in Holland for like eight more days. And then I was in Germany and France and Spain and they didn't like my Holland jersey at all. I feel like fashionable Americans who would, who would really look down their nose at somebody wearing a, a an NFL jersey at the mall will happily wear uh, a, oh, yeah. a European league yeah, soccer, soccer jersey. jersey. 
which and I think they're very funny because they always just have the company on them. You know, like that's right. the thing about you know Siemens or whatever is more <laughs> prominent than the uh, Deutsche than Bank the actual name of the team. But you know, this was a zip up like a like a like a sweat jacket, so it it was functional. It wasn't just walking around in a soccer jersey. If I had that on, the elderly usher would be like, hey, hey. How's, it, "How's it going, Lufthansa?" <laughs> <laughs> But yes. Uh, oh wait, this is my show. I was waiting for you to uh, to like take us somewhere to start talking about uh, middle initials. <laughs> so he he had to go back into the house to try to print out a because he's there's many many templates of scorecards and some of them are have a little too much granularity. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to record every every ball and every strike. Right. But he wants to make sure there's room for pitch runners. So you got to have room uh, blank Over lines before every member of the lineup and. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Oh, wait a minute. So he keeps a space just in case they throw in a pinch. A pinch hitter or a runner. Oh, yeah. interesting. You don't want to put that guy at the bottom. Yeah, right. So you got to have. He's got to be in there. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely leaned over and asked Dylan about a couple of errors. That's one of the things that's always interesting to me. If a, if a shortstop throws a baseball to first and there's an error. There's right, a bobble that, at some yeah, point. Yeah, bobble. I'm like, well, now how? There's somebody whose who's actual job, they get paid a living wage, presumably, mm-hmm. to say, mm, that was the shortstop's fault. Right. And sometimes it's not clear to me, like, who the error gets attributed to. And and so I would ask Dylan. Although now- E5? Yeah, he pointed up at the scoreboard at one point and said, it says up there. Eventually it will tell you, like, as if, as if the whole park has been waiting on pins and needles, all these drunk dads are like, was that a hit or was that a shortstop error? Right. They will announce it. But Dylan, in fact, he had, he'd already noted something down as an error. And when it was scored as a hit by the official scorekeeper, he was a little, oh, he's a little, he's a little put out. He was miffed, huh? Right, because on his score sheet, that had been an error. He started to get miffed about me asking him baseball questions, even though it's the one thing in life he, he truly desires is for some grown-up to say, what was that, Dylan? But, uh, but he's a teenager, right? So he's got to also seem... Like he doesn't want to do it. If you get him with other teens, you will definitely see that side of him. He doesn't yeah. want to talk to me at the game either. Yeah. Last time I went with George, he and his friends went and sat somewhere else. <laughs> I'm going to be caught dead sitting Some by empty us. Seat. Well, at the first Mariners game, the one that you threw out the, the first pitch. Oh, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, uh, it was great. It was amazing. I didn't bounce it like certain Seattle novelists. No, he didn't bounce it. You got it up there. Yeah, you got it uh, way up there, 25 feet above the plate, I think is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it was just outside the strike zone. It came down. The uh, By the way, the, uh, I did uh, take some heat from Maria for throwing from in front of the mound, Yeah, which is fairly customary for a first I, pitch. I gave you a little bit of heat for it, And too. from you, and from Mariners play by color man Mike Blowers, who was like, uh, hey, when did you decide to throw from the grass? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, and but to your credit, I did. I had heard over the years from various friends that have thrown out the first pitch that they discourage you from taking the mound. I thought they forbade it. Like I didn't even know I was allowed. I thought for groundskeeping reasons they did not want me on the rubber. Yeah, but uh, but Maria just climbed right on up there. I guess once you're out there, I was talking to the team or, or a guy who uh, I was just joking around with, who later turned out to be the team owner. <laughs> 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 After I had made some unfortunate joke about Mariner and you're like, boy, Mariners, man. Still suck. My son didn't know who he was. It's just a, his name tag said John. He was clearly some guy from the front office. I thought he was just some marketing guy. Yeah. And my son's like, hey, when are they going to call? Do you know when they're going to call uh, uh, Kelnick back up or whatever from Tacoma? And he actually did know. He was like, yeah, I was just talking to Jerry, actually. And I was like, who is this guy? Yeah, it turned out he was the owner. Uh, well, and Well done, mysterious owner. And he had a story about uh, 
I mean, he, he was the one who said, hey, once you're out there, we can't stop you. You can throw from wherever you want because you're all alone on a baseball diamond and right. there are no handlers you. With can you. take off your clothes and strip and run all around the field with them trying to catch you. With Morgana the Kissing Bandit on your heels. <laughs> but he had, a, he had a cautionary tale about a, a Taiwanese consul, like a diplomat who had, uh, who had been asked to throw out the first pitch at an M's game and had insisted that he throw from the mound because he had pitched in uh, high school. Mm-hmm. No, no, you don't have to worry. Are you sure you want to throw it? Because, you know, 60 feet, six inches is longer than it looks. No, 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 no. I used to pitch in, in high school. And he, he gets up there and he does a big windup and he just throws it into the dirt at his feet. Oh. And it rolls most of the way to home oh. plate. So the, uh, the advice I got from this mysterious stranger who turned out to be the owner and chairman of the Seattle Mariners was... Don't be a hero out there. Don't be a hero. I would absolutely try to be a hero, but I've, I have heard from people that it, it's harder than it looks, A, and also the mound, the height yeah, of the mound, yeah, is a, it's taller than you think. You'd think it would be an advantage, but for the layperson. It actually causes a lot of confusion. Yes. And so, uh, but you know, my friends who have an in at the baseball field have never proposed me, and it's probably because I'm not famous enough, but one day, one day my fame will lead me to that mound. And I will be a hero. I will throw it from up there and I'll do the whole wind up and everything. And I will, I'll hit a hot dog vendor almost <laughs> certainly, but it'll be worth it. Uh, well, I, I paid it forward and I, I got Maria a gig and maybe she'll, I don't think she's going to be able to, she doesn't have the pull that you do. Maybe she'll get George in there and then he'll get you to throw oh. the first pitch. Oh yeah. I bet George could get it there. I bet. At the game we attended with you, I brought my daughter and she and I had gone to baseball games several times over the years, uh, but she was always kind of too young to really watch an entire game. Uh, fortunately, the Mariners have um, playgrounds for kids. So, they do. Yeah, we would take her over and, or I would, I, often it was just the two of us and I would take her to the playground and she would play play for a while and that would be enough. And the wonderful thing about going to a baseball game is it's such a spectacle that that alone will kind of, Keep a kid interested for a couple of innings at least. There's just, always something to look at. Yeah. At some point, there's going to be fireworks. At some point, there might be Dippin' Dots, the ice cream of the future. And I, I, I think later I realized, oh, we went to see the Mariners versus the Texas Rangers, uh, a uh, a matchup no one cares about. But but later on, when Maria threw out the first pitch, it was a Yankees game, and there were a lot of Yankees fans there. And as everyone knows, they're awful. And so there was much more screaming. There was much more, uh, like, uh, sort of suggestion of possible fan violence. Seattle has a lot more transplants than it used to. And as a result, there are, uh, you know, any, any game will have an influx of local fans. And if they get a tipping point, they will try to start their own chance. Right. If they get a lead, they will start taunting uh, the locals they're sitting near. There was a lot of taunting. And as we all know, Seattle is a place that a lot of New Yorkers who are trying to leave New York forever, they come here. Seattle seems like the opposite of New York in some ways. And in my experience of the, of the New Yorkers that come here, there are two kinds. And one kind is, wow, this is so much better than New York. No one yells at you. It almost never smells like poo. It's not cold. It's not hot. I can walk everywhere, but not really. I mean, you can walk everywhere in New York. Uh, and then the other kind is, hey, what's the matter with this place? Everybody's so, you know, you're all so weak. No one yells at you. and never smells like poo. How are you going you to, you get nothing done. Nobody's friendly. And those people you know are going to go back to New York. Your good-hearted person had no accent. 
No, the good-hearted person's like, hey, New York, hey. He will immediately lose his accent. In, in yeah, they come out here and they're like, well, hello. I'd love to see you sometime, but probably not soon. Bye, nice talking to you. And the New Yorker's like, hey, why does everybody out here wear a guy? A guy once uh, was stand. I was working on Broadway, and uh, a guy not in New York, not in New York, but in Seattle, because uh, we we sold the New York Times at my newsstand, yeah. and it used to be before the New York Times was in every supermarket that this was a place you had to come get it. And so I met all the New Yorkers because they all wanted to read the New York Times. They'd come in and they'd they're New Yorkers, so they would talk to me about you know they'd walk in and they'd go, hey, guess where I'm from. Yeah, you're from New York. I know. You're here to buy the New York Times. Hey, what? And, uh, and a guy stood there at the counter one time and looking around and he was like, why does everybody in Seattle wear Boris Karloff shoes? Like, what's the deal with that? And I was like, well. They're all Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> they are. And I said, well, you know, it's, we're, we're alternative. It's an alternative uh, fashion. We all are like angry and sad. And so we wear big clunky shoes. And he's like, yeah, it looks like y'all have one leg shorter than the other. Hey. And I was like, go back to New York. <laughs> Whereas the, the well-mannered ones immediately start saying, Hey, forget about it. Hey, forget about it. Please forget about it. No, the good, the, you know, the ones that want to live out here, they go get some logger boots. It's the first thing you do when you, or they, the first thing you did. They, they can't wait. They can't yeah. wait to get some flannel on. Yeah. Give me some of those big black boots. Uh, but so the New the New Yorkers obviously at the sporting games are all they're they're all even if they're from even if they're from Connecticut they exaggerate that like Yankees. Bleh. At the Rangers game, my daughter got pretty bored, and I, I she was excited about you throwing throwing out the first pitch, but then it was a, it was kind of went downhill from there. The game went to extra innings. Yeah, it it, it was a long slow drag, and um, and. And they kept us there because it was July 2nd and they promised a big fireworks display. Mm. So we should have left after the sixth inning uh, just to keep her kind of, I don't want her to think of going to a baseball game as a negative experience. It's a punishment because it's very expensive punishment. Every time she cleans a yeah. room, you can't, you can't pay $35 for, for a field level seats. Yeah. And I, I tried to placate her with like, oh, we'll get hot dogs. Well, now we'll get pizza. Well, hey, I never got her dipping dots because I don't believe it is the ice cream of the future. No, it's got to be. No. It was not the ice cream of the past and it's certainly not the ice cream of the present. What <laughs> What uh, third option is there? How is it not the ice cream of the present? You can you can get it now. Uh, but it has traveled in time. That's what made it so cold. Remember how cold the DeLorean is? Yeah, that's right. Well, because of dry oh, cold, ice. ice cold. One thing she loved about being in the baseball stadium was the wave. And she was familiar with it because the wave has become a thing that it's not just synonymous with sports, but it's synonymous with any gathering of people at a boring moment. You look around, you go, wow, there are 15 people here. It, it, it's not inevitable, but, but often enough, yeah. someone will stand up and go, the wave, and they'll stand up and, and it'll be a funny moment where 10 people kind of standing in a vague circle will do the wave. And I was shocked when the wave happened at that game because it was the, it was the first game back at first post pandemic at full post pandemic capacity. Yeah. And Mariners games had been up until now this season. <laughs> yeah. Not many people, not enough people to do the wave, not enough people to make lines at the concessions. It was like a utopia. It was so great. It no, was wonderful. Nobody sat near you. Nobody wanted a beer. And when the wave started, I was like, Oh, right. The wave exists. Yeah. I haven't seen you in years. And it was the first wave of the season, and there was no wave last year. So it had been years since a wave had happened. I was hoping the wave had maybe died off. Oh, you're an anti-wave guy. Well, we'll get there in a second. Anti-waveite. Um, 
but you know, someone started the wave and the wave went around the stadium in a, in a, in a lull in the game, because there's a real etiquette to when you're meant to start a wave. And if you, it's annoying when a wave comes at a, at a cool moment when everybody's fixated on the hitter and it can actually be a situation where someone tries to start a wave and they get really like harshed booed, booed by people like, no, you know, we, we don't want your wave right now. But there, are, there, when the game starts to drag, uh, somebody gets a wave going. And it's wave o'clock. And they really flogged that wave. They tried to keep it going. They started it again when it died. The wave kind of went around a few different times. I do admire the section that starts it because it does take some perseverance and, uh, and force of will. Like, let's get this going, people. But it's, I mean, it's also megalomania that you want to see 25,000 people do your bidding. It's astonishing how few people are needed to start a wave. You think? Uh, there's been a lot of research done Ooh. on it because this is the type of thing that people that are applying for research grants think is hilarious. And a lot of times it's, it doesn't start with a grant. It starts with a physicist who's like, hmm, waves. I study those. What about this one? Does, and, the, does the property of stadium waves have anything in common with like electromagnetic or, or, or physical waves? Well, it does. And, and a lot of research has been done into it. A, a stadium wave would be, would be described by a physicist as a vertically polarized transverse traveling wave. Ah. And it is, and they are kind of measurable across, um, there have been several studies. That, that's probably uh, what happens when you like... Flop a, a flap a sheet before you put it on a bed, right? The it looks similar, but it but it's it's a wave comprised of um, you know thousands of individual actors. It's it's very much like a kind of a wave that would go across the a sea urchin, or you know a, a uh, wave that would happen. We have to see individual tendrils or, or doing their own thing. Yeah, little things that are all working together as a as as a wave unit, almost like you know, the, the incredible science of birds in a, in the sky, all kind of independently, but, but moving together as a group. Right. Um, so yeah, a lot of, I think, I think it has inspired physicists independent of one another. They see it happen and they're like, ah, oh, what if I looked at that more? And, and it turns it's cool out jock physicists. Yeah. And you can, you can, uh, waves are very popular television entertainment too. When one starts in a stadium, you know, the cameras can't keep, their eyes off of it if it's a good one. And so there's lots of video footage of waves uh, that allow physicists to kind of, you know, compare and contrast and, and take, uh, take the mean. And it turns out, you know, it, you can start a wave with a dozen people. All really? it takes, even in a stadium of 50,000 people, all it takes is, is a dozen or 20 people to stand up all at once. It takes a few tries sometimes. It does. I've uh, seen that. Uh, but you know, it takes a few tri- tries in a moment where either a stadium is kind of patchy or, um, or because people have to be paying attention. The wave can die right. if you don't realize, if you don't realize that it's about to hit you. And that's, that's something that happens in the group right next to you. And it's one of the components of the success of a wave. There's, um, you know, there's the, there, there are three conditions that have to be met and, or, or rather, um, there are three metrics. One of them is the distance between the audience members individually. These are the things that will determine the, the success of the wave. Right. One of them is how many neighbors do you have in eyesight of you? So when you're looking at a wave approaching, 
can you see far enough down the stadium to you know to build up the excitement? And those two are different because stadiums have seating sections. Right. So sometimes it has to jump a gap or something. And then there's the kind of hard to determine readiness to stand, like how. How, how amped is the crowd? Yeah, how amped and how bored. It's a combination of, of amped <laughs> and bored, right? If you're too bored, you won't stand at all. Right. If, if you're too into the game, you also won't stand at all. Right, it's exactly. A sweet spot. You have, to be, you have to be into the game, but nothing's happening. This is why the Nuremberg rallies did not have the wave. There, well, it hadn't been invented yet. Oh. oh, is that right? Yeah, we'll get to that in a, in a second, too. But, um, but seeing, the, seeing the wave, she was one of the people, and you've, been to games with this, with people like this, and I bet your kids were like this. Uh, she watched the wave so avidly as it went it's around. It's coming, Daddy, it's coming. Here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, and then she just, oh, she gave it her all, all the way up. And I'm tall enough that generally, unless it's a super wave, I just kind of sit up in my chair and raise my hands and go, ah! You don't have to stand. And it's just as good as a, as a person that's five foot four doing it. Honestly, a section that did not even stand, but if they all did their hands at the right time, the wave could keep going. The wave could keep which going. Which is good. Otherwise, it makes the wave ableist if it requires, that's right. if it requires standing. It's not really, it's just, a, it's just hands in the air, like you just don't care, and you make some kind of sound. Whoa. Oh, yeah. How important do you think the sound is? Well, it's funny. Uh, the wave be- has become very popular in Australia uh, at the cricket grounds. Hmm. And the Australian wave has taken on a kind of class element, um, and the Australian wave ha- ha- the Australian wave has been banned at cricket matches several different times for distracting the players or just for being the wrong vibe at a cricket match. Well, so so in Australia, the uh, there's a there's a place in the Sydney cricket grounds that is reserved for members of the Sydney. Uh, cricket club club yeah and they are all wealthy and they sit together in their one little snobby cricket area the show always gets good when we talk about australian cricket yeah and here we go again and as the um as the wave in its you know and the wave obviously appeals to australians because it allows them to go ah, and you know and all stand up at once Famous Australian qualities, <laughs> like, their, like their ancestors did, you right? Know. Right before, <laughs> right before stabbing that dock worker. <laughs> but when the wave was introduced to the Sydney cricket grounds, it would uh, arrive at the at the members only section, and they wouldn't stand. Boo. It was considered uh, déclassé, and the wave would continue. And this is one of the amazing things about the kind of crowd understanding of a wave. Would they time it? That it would pass through the non-standing cricket ground and begin, or a cricket club, mm-hmm. and begin again on the other side as though uninterrupted. So, But it, it is interrupted by, they, people are leaving the interval of time it would have taken. People don't right. just let it jump immediately like a spark. No, they, they wait, wait for, for it. it to go. And then it comes back around. And so uh, the the uh, the tradition there, or the the habit, became that during the time when the wave would be passing through the the uh, cricket club, the audience boos. So it goes <laughs> around, and then it hits the club, boo, and then it comes out the other this side. This is unprecedented sports for people to boo a full section of the of fellow fans. Yeah, right. And it became a a, a class issue, and so it was. It was banned, not I think I think on the grounds that it was distracting, but also it was it it took on this sort of uh, like class. It's always class dispute. warfare when the lower class rises up. You know, no, right. 
the upper class never minds class warfare as long as they're the ones perpetuating it. But the uh, but uh, Australian cricket fans then refused to abide by the ban. But what they started to do was, as the wave went through the cricket grounds, they went shh. They would all they would all say shush. Or uh, and there are waves that are quiet waves where everyone is completely silent. Well, that would be very ominous. Right? Super spooky and cool. And I wish that we would do that at a Mariners game. I don't know how you would start a quiet wave, but... Um, yeah, the sound, but is what, the sound is what alerts people it's coming. Right. You need to get all eyes on it. But but if you could somehow get, especially in a, in a full stadium, to get, you know, tens and tens of thousands of people to do a quiet wave, oh, man. Do that at One my day. funeral. Do that One. at my funeral. Because, you know, everybody knows my funeral is going to be at... Uh, at Yankee at Stadium. Stadium, yeah, no, no, at, yeah, at, at, here in, in Seattle. Maybe if they ever agree to have me throw out the first pitch, I will. I'll instigate a silent wave. Okay, okay, the first pitch. Sure, sure, sure. I'll get to that. <laughs> Are you going to come out with a megaphone, <laughs> like a bullhorn, so you can let everybody know? But let me start a silent wave first. Uh, it's just like omnibus. I'm here to throw out a first pitch, but hey, before we get to that, <laughs> here's 45 minutes of us talking about your kids. Ken, your hair is looking good. It didn't used to. Your hair looked terrible. It used to look really bad, and now it's looking full and puffy. And and uh, what 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 are you doing differently? I feel like my hair was getting a little bit thin, mm. um, but there's something you can do about that now. Again, we live in the future. It's an age of wonders. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, not all of us have the opportunity to be on national television, and I don't know with all of the kerfuffle and hullabaloo. Have you thought maybe that your hair was playing a role? I do actually get seen from behind a lot on the chase, which made me think about uh, whether or not I was getting a bald spot up there. But there's no, there's no shame if you do. Two out of three guys are going to experience male pattern baldness like in their early 30s, right? You know, and then it just, it just the numbers tick up from there. Um, so while you still have hair left, it's it's really hard to get it back. But while you still got it left, you can. You can slow that roll. Slow the roll. And uh, and even, re- in some cases, reverse hair loss. Reverse the roll. By getting FDA-approved uh, medicaments. But where do you get them? I mean, do you go to the drugstore and stand there just holding up different medicaments and trying I mean, to figure out what to it's do? It's worse than that. Sometimes they even require a prescription. Um, uh-huh. So I recommend Keeps. So you don't have to go to your doctor's office to get a prescription or consult on which remedy is right for you. Yeah. With Keeps, you just do that doctor's visit online, and then the medication gets delivered straight to your home. Oh, um, that sounds a lot better. No drugstore lines, uh, no doctor's visits. Uh, it's uh, it's the right way to do it. Is there any other uh, hair loss uh, purveyor that has more five-star reviews than Keeps? Yeah, there's several. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> Lol. Let me tell you, Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors, more than 100,000 satisfied clients. Uh, you know, they pass those savings along to you. John. Is it expensive? No, the treatment started just $10 a month. And let's off, should we offer our listeners uh, a little something here? You know, I'm feeling generous to our listeners. Why don't we give them, let's say your first month free. I don't know. That's a pretty good deal. I think so. Let's do it. Let's that's do it. Just for our friends at Omnibus. We can afford it. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Omnibus. And receive your first month of treatment 
for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash omnibus. And Ken and I are going to ensure that you get your first month free. K-E-E-P-S dot com slash omnibus. Uh, but the wave internationally is almost universally known as the Mexican wave. Really? Yeah. The wave is not uh, internationally thought of as an American invention. It's known as the Mexican wave because the first time it ever appeared on international television was during the FIFA World Cup in 1986 that happened in Mexico. At this time, American sports teams were not yet doing it, or they were, they were, but it hadn't oh, it was, reached the world. It was universal in American sports, but baseball and American football were not globally right. televised. No right. one was interested in it. Not even the World Series? Not the World Series. I mean, it was popular in, as you say, uh, North United States or Canada, but, uh, but globally, it, uh, there was no profile for it, even though soccer... You know, the stadiums that are, cricket stadiums and and, uh, football stadiums have as many or more people than are at an NFL game. It just hadn't made it over there. And one of the reasons is that European sports traditionally did not have cheerleaders. You know, the crowd sections are kind of self-organized. But soccer does have its own crowd traditions of chants and... and, uh drums and whatnot. Yeah, they do, but they kind of start internally. Yeah. Um, and there's competing groups often. They're, these people will always sit together and they'll always have a thing they do um, so that you need to unify them all. Right. And, and, and they also, I mean, there's a kind of global, um, there's a, a global tradition of like card stunts where a whole, a whole part of the crowd will all hold up a, a big cardboard placard of, you know, I was going to mention that when you talked about your daughter loving the look of the wave, because that's the same thing when everybody in a crowd holds up one of their color coded things and it makes a sign or a a picture or a symbol. I mean, this is like basically you can't see anywhere else. Yeah. It's one of the major industries in North Korea is to just (laughs) produce these incredible spectacles. I mean, if you, if you watch the North Koreans do card, uh, stunts, they, uh, I mean, it's maybe one of the more beautiful orchestrated kind of ballets that you'll ever see. They're, it really justifies really the whole country's existence. It does. I mean, I, when I think of North Korea, I think, yeah, uh, like f- probably not good nuclear missiles, probably ones that can't actually reach Hawaii. The, all the famine's a bummer. Famines. But it's all just outweighed. Really big uniforms on their, on their generals, like outsized <laughs> medals. Uh, so, so there's tons of precedent of sports fans having a, having a, a sense of organization, but the, the wave just didn't, it wasn't, um, you know, whatever that little spore of a, of a crowd habit, it just hadn't been introduced. It seems like such an obvious idea. Like yeah. if you had told me that like 19th century bullfights had them, I'd be like, well, that makes sense. You know, it, it would have to start up with a bunch of people crowded in in a, in a ring. Well, in fact, the first wave, the first documented wave, um, first wave, first wave, 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 uh, didn't actually happen until 1981. Jeez. And credit for the invention of the wave as we know it is given to a professional cheerleader 
by the name of Crazy George Henderson. I'm sure that's not his baptismal name. No, Crazy. Well, yeah, Crazy George. That's what his, that's that's what what his folks says. called him. CG? Um, he was a guy from uh, Cal State San Jose, which interestingly, I, and I bet you, I bet you, Mr. Jeopardy, that you didn't know this. Cal State San Jose is the oldest university, not only in California, but on the West Coast of these United States. It is like it dates back to the Spanish times? Well, no, not quite that old, but it is, it does date back to the early 19th century. And UCLA actually was originally a, uh, like a satellite campus of, of uh, the California Normal School or whatever it was called at the time. But uh, but Crazy George Henderson was a student in the '60s at at Cal State San Jose and um, and was a member of the cheerleading squad and uh, you know and really enjoyed the work and after college you know it was kind of one of those guys maybe that had um, that had his best years when he was uh, when he was in college. He was a male cheerleader. He uh, he kept going back. And cheerleading and, um, and, you know, lead, and he was the kind of guy that could really get people. He had a, he had a drum, a signature drum, like a hand drum with a, with like a, a pounder. Like, what, what are you, what would you call it? Not a mallet, but a drumstick, but almost not a drumstick. Exactly. Almost like an East African kind of Dejimbe style, uh, drumstick that had a little hook in it. And with his, uh, with his little, little Dejimbe stick. God, what am I looking for? I guess drumstick. Let's call it that. He could really attract, you know, he could, he could, uh, collect the attention of a section of the crowd and get them doing call and response. He had a big prop. He did. And he was an, you know, he had kind of a, a, uh, a rainbow Afro wig. Uh, no, but, uh, but you you just did the American (laughs) sign language sign for a rainbow Afro wig. I did, but he, and he did have a kind of fright wig of hair. Um, that, you know, that made him somebody, you know, kind of now he's got gray hair, but he ma- made him somebody that people would say, Hey, let's look, look at that crazy guy. Maybe, maybe it did the name came come first or did the, did the craziness come first? I bet the name came first. They just, they were just hoping he would be crazy mm-hmm. and it paid off. So crazy George is coming from, um, a long tradition of cheering in the United States, cheerleading, although not a, uh, a thing that you see in other of the great nations of the world, uh, has a kind of storied tradition here in the U.S. as a college sports. That should, um, that should be an omnibus at some point. Yeah, and, and there's a lot. Uh, Why, there's there, no cheerleaders for Oxford uh, crew. There's a lot we can talk about in that um, because cheerleading continues to be kind of a contentious question in the U S as to whether or not it qualifies as a title nine sport. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of, uh, female participation in, in college sports. Um, if you look at statistically the, and I don't, and I won't do the cheerleading episode right now, but, um, but it continues to be contentious and maybe I, maybe I should do the cheerleading episode next so that, so that it dovetails. Now that we're on. Jock omnibus. <laughs> I'm going to do only jock shows from now on. Perfect. I'll do the nerd show, and then on Thursday we'll have 
John talking about uh, offsides in hockey. That's right. Here's what icing is. Actually, hockey come, plays into our story because uh, Crazy George was uh, his his um, his cheering for San Jose uh, led him to kind of he was he after graduation he was working as a as a high school teacher. Sure, he was only at the university for 15 years or so, getting his degree. Right, but uh, <laughs> that's right. But uh, but his cheering at the football game was noticed by the owner of a. Uh, of the hockey team from Santa Clara, the California Golden Seals of the oh, NHL. Man. And the uh, the Golden Seals said, hey, why don't you, you know, like, we'll give you 50 bucks if you come over and get some cheers started at, at our NHL games. Is there such a thing as a Golden Seal? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe on a letter, but like an animal? There's no, there's no yeah, animal. Yeah, gold called. seal, a beautiful golden seal. It's The thing is, the Golden Seal appears to you if you are meant to be King of Santa Clara. Like any team could name their, could be named after an animal that exists, but we're the elite golden golden seal. It rises up out of the sea right before the green flash as the sun goes down. Grant me three wishes. If you think about it's the, it's golden state. It's the golden state. Gold. I guess that's true. Minor 49ers. I mean, it was was around the same time that it was an Oakland based team around the same time that the golden state warriors were so named. So, uh, Oh, they relocated as the Cleveland Barons and then shut down in 78. Very sad. Womp, womp, womp. That's what happens. All right. I, I, our sonic story still trumps it as as saddest <laughs> sports relocation story. But so he, you know, he's cheering for a team. And of course, what happens? You're playing an opposing team. And then they see the effect of your cheering and they go, hey, we want that. Uh, but in the case of Crazy George, uh, what seemed to have happened in his own career was that these teams wanted specifically Crazy George Henderson. They didn't say, hey, let's go back and find our own crazy guy and give our own crazy guy a, a, a drum. They said, hey, let's hire this guy. There was a bidding war for crazy, because how could you hire somebody else to play a drum in a wacky way? Well, and that's the thing. The San Jose Earthquakes invited him over to play or to, to, uh, to bang his drum for their soccer league. Soccer, right? Yeah. And they gave him $35 a game. So the $50 a game thing hadn't happened yet. He was only getting 35 bucks a game, but it seemed fun. And it's wh- a big raise for him. Cause there's probably, you know, 10 to 15 games a year. He could be making, he could be making $500. And we're talking about 1974, you know, that's 1974 dollars, $35 for that. a game. That's right. That's a lot. But what happened was he was so good at cheerleading that he became a contentious issue because teams complained that if he got the crowd cheering, uh, they couldn't hear their own, their own players. The home uh, team actually complained. These weren't, no, these were visitors. The visitors. Oh, because well, good. Yeah. He would, he, but this was at a time, I think before, wah, wah. before the idea of like that much crowd noise actually affecting the play. Uh, this was kind of the introduction of it. I mean, in Seattle, we're used to our home field noise, literally registering on seismological surveys. Right much less causing five-yard false start penalties. Well, as he, you know, as he moved up into um, higher and higher into the kind of sports world, and I don't mean to suggest that the NHL is any, uh, you know, lower than the North American soccer league. (laughs) But, but if uh, I I wouldn't suggest that either of those are subservient to the NFL, but eventually crazy George did become an NFL cheerleader and, uh, and no less a group of wimps than the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we're talking about Pittsburgh Steelers at the 
peak of their Pittsburgh's dealership hood. Steel curtain time. Uh, they complained that he was making too much noise and that it wasn't fair. Ooh. Uh, but um, so Crazy George, you know, uh, making his way through the world of sports, he's he's creating a lot of different cheers and like getting people to stand up and cheer, getting getting these call and response uh, cheers from different sections of the crowd. You know, that's still a very popular way of, of, uh, generating excitement. And according to crazy George, it was one of those kind of call and response. You know situations. who else generated excitement by getting different parts of the crowd to yell, John? Yes, I do. And that'll come up in a future show too. <laughs> uh, it's been a long time since we mentioned Adolf Hitler. He never once started the wave. He has no connection to the wave at all. He didn't come up in the middle initial show either. We're on a, we're in a real Hitler dry spell. Adolf J. Hitler. <laughs> did he, uh, but at what point did crazy George, like, was he doing something like the wave with, uh, with this golden seals? According to, well, he's long past the golden seals now he's working. Right. But when did, when did the goes around the stadium? So cheers start. So the idea first occurred to him, uh, because of an accidental moment in a, in a game where he was kind of running back and forth in front of a group of fans. Okay. Now you, okay. Now you, and, and, a, a you know, a group of group of fans in the stands kind of missed their cue. And so a group stood and then this other group was about a second behind them. And ah, then they stood he watched it move. and he watched it move. And it's like Archimedes. He did. He it really was, uh, you know, to hear him tell it like, whoa, how do I get this going? Um, so let's take a moment. Let's put a pin in Crazy George ah. and go over to our local home college football team, the University of Washington Huskies, who also had a very uh, active cheer squad. And it was kind of... Um, well, it involves former game show host and television host, Rob Weller. I knew this. Did you know Rob Weller was a UW? Uh, I knew about his connection to this squad? story. Because, I, you know, I used to, as a kid, I would watch him and Lisa Gibbons anchor entertainment this tonight. week. No, oh, oh, entertainment tonight first. And then did he move to entertainment By the time I was week? watching it, Mary Hart and John Tesh were usually on the nightly show. I see, right. Rob and Lisa were there on weekends. And I later saw him host, I think he used to host Win, Lose, or Draw, maybe after Burt Convey left that show. Uh-huh. Um, he's just kind of a, a bland, dark-haired, handsome guy. Yeah, he did the home show. He was, uh, he did, he kind of went around Good Day Los Angeles, that type of, you know, if you saw a picture of him, you'd recognize him. But yeah, sort of a bland, but, but. 80s memorable yeah. person you might see on TV. And he, I do remember that he had taken credit for the wave. But he that's not true. He he postdates Crazy George. Well, so what was happening at the University of Washington is that they had kind of figured out uh they had in, they had uh, invented a different version of it, one that started at the bottom and went up to the top of the oh. stands and back down. And you can see how that would make perfect sense, right? Everybody at the front, like, up, and then, you know, it kind of, again, maybe accidentally discovered. Sure. But it's clear that that's not the wave in its final form. That's not its final because form. Because it can only bounce. 
it just bounces up and comes back down. You're, leave, and, you're leaving a whole axis, the, the broadest axis of the stadium untouched. And you don't get a sense that it that the way that they did it then was uh, that it would bounce up and down you know, right. 16 times, which also would be kind of a cool wave, and we should maybe try that out. It's but, also harder at bigger stadiums where there's multiple tiers. Like at a college stadium like Husky Stadium, there's just one right. big... Uh, grandstand heading up to the skies, whereas most modern sports parks will have overhanging eaves of top sections. And the yeah, and this would be this. The way we have to go in and out to go up. It would be hard on a. Uh, it would it, well. It will, we'll find out that it wasn't hard to do. But uh, Husky Stadium is one of those stadiums that has two big bleachers Giant. on either side of the football field, and then uh, you know hard, just some ad hoc folding chairs at either end in the end zones. But um, but Crazy George was kind of working on this wave, uh, in in at, at NHL games. He kind of um, you know, was was trying trying to figure out exactly how to get a wave going. He had it in his mind. He could see the vision, and he he developed it so that it worked. And then the first occurrence, the first the the reason that we uh, that we attribute the wave because as you know, attribution is is key and it's also hard to establish. It happened for the first time in October of 1981 at an Oakland A's game and it was on TV. It took the crowd a few, like noticeably took the crowd a a little bit of time to get it. He's down there banging his drum going, okay, now you, and then you, and then you. And the crowd is like, huh? What, what are we going to see when he, this happens? Yeah, and they kind of stand up, and uh, this group stood up, and it was like, what are you trying to do? And then there was a moment, like a, like a visible moment, when the crowd understood, and it began, and, and you know, and of course, it, to have seen it for the first time, I mean, what, what, an, what an awesome experience. I remember my mind being blown just seeing it at the Kingdom in the late 80s. When the crowd was so sparse that it was really, the drama would be, will it make it around? Yeah. You know, will it hit too many dead spots and die out? And as a kid, I'm sure the adults were annoyed by it, like I kind of am today at a game. But uh, as a kid, you're just like, come on, I hope it gets through the right field. I hope it gets through. Yes, it made it. You know, it, the wave lives another day. There it was in all of its glory. The first time anyone had seen it uh, what's televised. The, what's the year? Do we know? 81. So it was October 15th, 81. And that date is important. Because the first time it appeared at Husky Stadium was Halloween, um, a Husky game against Stanford, their arch rivals, or one of their arch rivals. I don't know if I would say that, but okay. Everybody that plays against the Huskies is their arch rival. I guess Oregon and Cal, right? Uh, UC, or UC Berkeley. And Wazoo, I mean Washington State. Right. I get, we got well, a lot the, of rivals. The Huskies hate everybody. But they're at the Stanford game, um, the cheerleaders... Uh, led by Rob Weller, who had gra- again, like Crazy George, had graduated from the UW in the '60s, and oh, was, he came back. He came back as 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 a celebrity. Now that he's a TV personality, well, it's kind of just prior to him oh, being okay. a, a, a national TV. He's celebrity. just an alumnus here. Uh, they get it going at Husky Stadium, and again, this is a this is a televised game. But also, the Huskies then adopted it as the, their signature cheer and they used it against every team for the rest of the season. And this is Halloween. So it's two weeks after the Oakland days, but it's, it's developed in parallel. Well, 
Rob Weller later said that he was aware of the uh, the Oakland game, right? I mean, there's two weeks there for everybody to everybody in the cheer world. Okay, so but the Huskies do a do a round the stadium one, not an up and down one. Well, no, I I, I should have said that that uh, Crazy George got it going around the stadium in in, in Oakland. Oakland, and is that what the Huskies did two weeks later? Yes. Oh, okay. So they're no longer doing their little up and down version. No, they're no longer. It's it's the proper wave, uh, but. You know, Crazy George didn't have. I mean, it's the end of the baseball season, and the and the middle beginning of the football season. How many people are watching Oakland A's games in the early '80s outside of the <laughs> Bay Area? Right. Whereas, you know, college football. But what was happening with the Huskies was every college team they played said "cool" and took it back to their own college. University of Michigan being. Um, so the so this became a Huskies thing every year. And College football is more fan oriented. It is. You got, yeah. you got crowds of sitting around before the game, just waiting to you know waiting for the game, and it's the, the highlight of the weekend. Whereas baseball is more traditional. Yeah, and it's it, it's very much like a team spirit, like a college spirit kind yeah, of. Rah, thing. Rah, rah. Uh, University of Michigan adopted it as their kind of signature move, and University of Michigan football games have hundred thousand people. So it was, if you can imagine a hundred thousand people doing it, it's, um, and, and, and college football fans who there's a lot of boring downtime in football games, right? It's like tweet. And then there's a lot of moving around and standing around. Why not get the, uh, why not get the wave going? I like uh, when you can hear it on TV. You ha- you can't see it on TV, but you can hear the, ah, you know, the mics kind of pick up the sound of it as it goes around. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't until. 1984 that there was a um like a, a an appearance of the wave that would have been you know that that would have kind of made it onto the 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 screen of of an international audience and it happened in America at the 1984 soccer finals at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena so it was on the Olympics, but it was an American crowd oh. that you know that that brought the wave to an international event, and it didn't you know that the the Olympics didn't quite penetrate the the global consciousness. The final was between Brazil and France, and I think but you, you know, got all these LA yo-yos doing the wave during these because they're you know they're bored the whole time. Yeah, right. And it and it may have been that it happened during a commercial break or it was you know it wasn't huh. featured in the broadcast. It was only featured in uh it, it it you know it was the 86 FIFA World Cup that it um that it made the you know the the it became a global phenomenon. As as the Mexican wave. The Mexican wave and which is what I used to call Richie Valens's hairstyle. Hmm. So now we're living in a world where the wave is uh, like a universal occurrence at sports events around the world. Anytime you get that many people into a place, eventually somebody's going to try to start the wave. As you said earlier, um, sometimes the wave has a hard time making it all the way around. Like a group, it's it doesn't just happen at the cricket grounds. You know, a group will kind of just not... They'll, they're not emphatic enough. Not enough people in that section. Yeah. That's one of the things about it, that it, that in order for this group of people to stand, they have to feel like the group of people right before them stood with some enthusiasm. 
And you can see a wave that's... You don't want to be like the last person clapping at a concert, right. you know? The last person standing up. And you see that poor person sometimes. Although they always seem kind of jolly, too. They're into it. But you, you've also seen waves, right, that would go around and kind of peter out and almost be gone. And one guy would stand up and then it would start again and, and take on a new life. I mean, it really does feel like... There is some wisdom of crowd thing where it seems like everybody can kind of sense where it's supposed to be. Yeah. So it can pick up again. Can pick up and 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 again, that's a kind of a measurable dynamic. A a a, a, a wave almost always happens in a clockwise direction, huh. and it almost always moves at about twenty seats per second. Oh, there's a there's a built-in wave speed. Yeah, a wave speed, which is much... faster than a person could run, sure. obviously. Yeah. I wonder if that comes from having us having seen it on TV enough that we have a sense of what a wave should look like, or if that's just there's something inherent to uh it seems like from the to the reactions of people standing up. The the people that have studied it, and there was a there was a, a, a kind of a lighthearted study done at the Hungarian Academy of Science. This is, you know, the again, Hungarians appear in our show. Uh, in 2001, they did a they did a fairly uh, extensive survey of televised waves, and they actually got a group of people together to to try and mimic wave dynamics. And clockwise, 20 seats per second seems to be something innate from the very beginning of the wave. It was just what it was just how it panned it's out. It's like the gravitational constant. Very hard to move faster. Although there are examples of in it like along with quiet waves and shush waves, there are slow waves. And truly advanced <laughs> wave dynamics, you can get waves in a stadium going in opposite directions. You can get a fast wave headed in one direction and a slow wave headed in the other. I mean, there are people cheerleading that are that are pretty good at getting and crowds that are really engaged. I would enjoy that. Yeah, I would. Because too. to me, the wave kind of now feels like an obligation. Like I used to marvel at it as a kid. And now I just feel like, oh, somebody's making me do this. Do this. Just, just like they're making me say charge when they play the fanfare. And, and, it be, and this is, I think, a, a result of the Mexican wave now being a bigger deal than and a more widely known thing than the than the American wave, the its origin story. The, the largest wave was at one of those John Stewart rallies. Uh, the, <laughs> oh, a, a, a plea for normality yeah, or whatever he called it. Right, those. a restore, restoration of sanity. And the guys from Mythbusters actually got a wave going in a crowd of 200,000 people, um, which is kind of a, you know, a miracle to see. It's just hard to get that many people together. I mean, when are you, I'd like to break the record, but when are you going to get 500,000 people together? I mean, those Rolling Stones concerts in Rio de Janeiro had a, reportedly had a million people. Or my funeral. And that concludes The Wave, entry 1415.1K0814, certificate number 4418, in the omnibus. Uh, futurelings, uh, you can, uh, in our era, I'm sure social media has expired, although if it continues to exist past a, a sparse period the way a wave in a stadium sometimes can, we may still be at Ken Jennings uh, or at John Roderick or a jointly omnibus at Omnibus Project. You can also find John on his Patreon. Uh, you can email us in our era, theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Send us all your favorite 
Wave Memories and Rob Weller Tributes. Uh, you can mail us physical items at our P.O. Box, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Rob Weller's still alive, by the way. Also, Crazy George Henderson's still alive. Do you think they ever hang out? Lisa oh, Gibbons, wow. still wow. alive. That's interesting. I wonder if they've ever been in the same place. I wasn't able to find that. Mary Hart's still alive, uh, sitting behind home plate at uh, Dodger Stadium and not doing the wave. Hey, this is very appropriate for this uh, particular show because I, I just we just got in the mail a note from Doug from Fremont, Nebraska, who is a, uh, a band director at the local high school. Okay. It was an unexpected treat to hear about our town on your podcast. Oh, I, I apparently free, we mentioned that Fremont, Washington was named for Fremont, Fremont Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, I had no idea. Um, he, as a band director, I'm up to my ears in extra spirit wear. So I thought I would send you a piece <laughs> of our first normal band thing in almost a year and a half. They got to take their trip this year. My son's two, two Disneyland trips got canceled due to the pandemic, um, which is a pretty good first world problem to have. But, uh, looks like Doug's band actually got to go to the Alamo. They went to San Antonio. Nice this year to do their thing but parent boosters and people were able to pull it together just in time and they sent us the shirts Fremont Nebraska high school band shirts from that trip I assume you do not already have a Fremont Nebraska band shirt at all much less one from this year's San Antonio trip uh hold it up I'll have to see Fremont high school tiger band San Antonio Texas and it's got a pretty bold looking tiger uh, this is a extra large. Let's see if let's see if Doug knew our sizes. M- mine's a large. I can I can do that. You can do that. Shrink it up. What you're gonna love on the back is that it's got thanks to the corporate sponsors. So let's let's shout out Tommy's Express Car Wash, DNT Certified, <laughs> uh, Abe Krasny Home Furnishings, Bloom Optical Greens Florist, Merritt Taylor Trailers, and the Dan Moran family. I will wear that with pride. Thanks these, to our corporate sponsors. These, are, yeah. If they would sponsor the omnibus, we'd be in a in much better position. Go to Abe Krasny Home Furnishings and use promo code Omnibus <laughs> for ten percent <laughs> off an ottoman or end table. Now, Doug, let me just say, I, I know I know Ken always rolls his eyes when I actually try to solicit certain gifts from our uh, listeners, but I am always trying to put together a marching band uniform for myself couldn't you just order one well no they're very difficult to get just one <laughs> and so what i'm wondering is i'm i'm looking online here at the fremont nebraska band uniform how's the look it's very cool at least uh at least as shown here um and so anyway i'm an extra large uh, 46 long 38 inch waist if you have an extra one of your marching band uniforms, just send it on over to Omnibus at 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. And that uh, that applies to all Omnibus listeners that might have a marching band All band uniform. directors. Did you have a <laughs> tall, bulky boy die or quit this year? I'm imagining it's a tuba player or a <laughs> trombone or, or, or bass drum player. Uh, send it on. Thank you, Doug. Uh, you could also find like-minded uh, listeners uh, at the Futurelings uh, groups, discussion groups on Facebook and Reddit and elsewhere. Um, the most important way, there's many ways to support the podca- podcast. You could send John a band uniform. You could tell a friend. You could write a review on Apple Podcasts. 
uh, you could do all of the above. Um, but the most immediate way to support the show would be to visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash omnibus project uh, and find the level that's right for you and just enjoy all the amazing omnibus bonus content that comes with that. Because really, there's only otherwise there's only two or three hours a week of this thing and you're going to run out. Uh, that's patreon.com slash omnibus project. At HowStuffWorks.com. No, not <laughs> lol. You may have a hard time finding us at HowStuffWorks.com. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past. We have no idea how long our civilization survived. Oh, these shirts are mildly scented. Is that fabric softener or is that is Doug trying to send us a message? Maybe he pre-washed them. That's nice, Doug. Thank yeah. you. Uh, we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. And I personally hope and pray that I will get at least three band uniforms. Also, if your father or grandfather were in the Navy, uh, were officers in the Navy, you could send their uh, their dress whites. You're going to mix and match? You're going to wear like a dress whites with a band shako? Yeah. Yeah, I could do. Uh, if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the office.